Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. We are excited to have you with us today. Last week, Mikkel, you said we were going to talk about vulnerability, and it got me a little nervous. Like, I, I like saying vulnerability and talking about it, but man, when we get vulnerable, um, that's a little scary. I know, and I, I intentionally did that because I think that it's important that we keep pushing ourselves uh, to keep growing. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of maybe setting the tone for this conversation, uh, your thoughts on what it means to be vulnerable, like when you say that, like, what are we talking about? So I love Brene Brown, and I've read all of her books, and I just recently finished her Netflix show. And um, I've been thinking about what that means to me over the last couple of weeks. And so I wrote down what I wrote in my journal is, vulnerability to me means exposing the parts of myself that I don't want people to see. It's part of shadow work. It means taking a risk because you're allowing people to see the parts of you that, that aren't that pretty, if that makes sense. You're, you're, you're allowing people to see who you really are. Um, it's risky because you could get hurt. People could take advantage of that. You may not be heard. Um, you may not be validated. But to me, it's worth the risk of being real um, and being seen because in my experience, it allows for greater connection. Yeah, I can tell you that I've seen, as I've watched the world work for 40 years, I see what people make jokes about. I see what people make fun of. I see what people add shame onto another human being for doing. And for me, anytime I am risking being made fun of or I'm risking someone trying to put shame on me, like those are the things that it really takes vulnerability to expose um, and to show another human being. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I had never really thought about this when I read Brene Brown's book, but she talks about the difference between women being vulnerable and men being vulnerable and how oftentimes men are shamed even worse than women are when they, when they are vulnerable. And so on our Facebook page, we had a listener write in and ask that question, how can I as a man be vulnerable without it being perceived as weakness? And so where you're, where you're a man and have that perspective, Bill, what are your insights on that? Well, the first thing, Mikkel, would be that there are mechanisms in place that I use to avoid being vulnerable. And one of those is we talked about this about a week ago and when you said, hey, Bill, the secret to this podcast, the secret to you and I getting this thing off the ground and people loving it and wanting to tune in every week is you and I have to be vulnerable and you're too headsy. You're too much in your head trying to give out information. And you're right. Like, that's what I do. That's my mechanism for protecting myself is to say like, okay, I'll say something smart over here. Uh, and it allows everybody to go like, ooh, ah, and it avoids being able to talk about the scary things. So 
as uh, as we're trying to answer this listener and say like, hey, what does it take for a man to be vulnerable? What Brene Brown talks about in her book is this idea of not falling off your horse. As a man, the evolutionary mechanisms, and again, we talked about this last week, and I don't want to be headsy for long, but I do want to say there, there are mechanisms in place that cause women, for instance, to see men as needing to be strong. You're looking for strong men to protect the tribe. And so you tend to see like, oh, I'm looking for a strong man. The reality is that there are mechanisms there that prevent men from being real because they they feel they're going to be perceived as weak. And what I've come to understand, Mikkel, is that first off, us men, we want to be vulnerable too. There are times we want to be vulnerable. We've been taught by society not to be, but I want to be. I want to be vulnerable. I want to tell people my embarrassing stories. I want to tell people more about me because I don't want to fit in anymore. I want to belong. And to belong, you have to be vulnerable. Um, and so to this listener who's asking the question, how do I do that as a man? So what I would say, Mikkel, is that I'm looking, I'm looking for some degree of like, is this safe? Like, I'm not going to expose my vulnerability in a situation where I know absolutely it's going to uh, be abused. We don't, we don't do that. That doesn't make any sense. So when I go into a situation, I look at who's there. And what I'm doing is I'm taking calculated risk, but not calculated risk like, hey, there's 10 people in the room and I know all of them will hear my story and will see value in it rather than adding shame or making jokes about it. It's that I sense that maybe six people or three people in the room, depending on the situation, I know they're safe. And and so now there's a calculated risk. I'm going to say this story. I'm going to tell this thing. I'm going to open myself up to to those around me. And I'm going to take the chance that this is going to be perceived as having value and, and, and talking about the things that all of us have going on. But at the same time, there's also still risk there. And Absolutely. you can't avoid it. You can't. You can't. One of the things that I love that Brene Brown said is, she said, if you're not in the arena, and I need to pull up the quote that goes along with that, but she says, if you're not in the arena getting your ass kicked, she says, I'm not interested in your feedback. And I loved that quote because so often, like you said, we, we at least in my past, I took very calculated risk. I knew who I could tell my story to, and I would get totally validated to, you know, validated. Um, and I knew who to avoid. But like you pointed out, there, you have to be, you have to be risky. You have to know that there, there are some people that are going to take your story or hear your story and they're not going to, they're not going to keep it safe and they're not going to keep you safe. Um, but Brene, she says, you know, you don't have to sit there and catch the shit balls that other people spit at you or throw at you. The people that are in the cheap seats, you, you take feedback from sharing your story from the people who matter from the people who are being vulnerable themselves, from the people who who are willing to keep growing um, right along with you. And so I loved that thought, that you have to be in the arena. Yeah. And, and it's going to backfire sometimes. Like you're going to be in a space where you want to expose more of yourself. You're looking to be accepted for who you are. You take the calculated risk. You know that there's a risk of it not going the right way, and it doesn't. And, and, uh, Brene mentions several times, like this idea of your marble jar friends. Right. Right. And there's this idea that as you has, have interactions with other human beings, you're stocking up marbles in a jar that, that, uh, an invisible jar and a metaphorical jar 
where you and this other person, you have this relationship and now there's a jar. And now as you're testing experiences with this person, you're putting jars in or marbles in and you're taking marbles out based on whether this person deserves a a level of trust or not. Um, Having that jar, I'm going into all my experiences and going like, What's the size of, what's the amount of marbles in the jar for this group? What's the amount of marbles in the jar for this person? So for example, Mikkel, it's to the point now between you and me, for instance, I don't feel a risk anymore in being vulnerable with you because you have operated in a way that our jar on my end, at least is completely full. You, I trust you to handle what I share with you in a way that values me as a human being and seeks to understand me as a human being. That no longer takes vulnerability. But early on in our relationship, we had to test those experiences. And along the way, you and I are dropping marbles in. And your jar is different than my jar. You're putting marbles in based on how I react to you. I'm putting marbles in based on how you react to me. And and from time to time, sometimes we mess up and, and a marble comes out. Um, but but in every experience, I'm I'm sensing what that jar looks like with the various people. And there are some people that you will not be vulnerable with at all. They don't deserve that. And there are also places where you have to take calculated risk. Right. So Bill, here's the question that's that's come to my mind. How do you know when it's okay to take a calculated risk and when when you don't? Like what things are you looking for um, in in you know interactions with various people or with various groups that you're you're like, okay, these people I think I can take a calculated risk with or you know, in another group, absolutely not. So what, what do you look for? The big one for me, Mikkel, is to watch what human beings say about other human beings. In other words, they may not, I may not catch them saying something about me that is negative gossipy type stuff, but I'm watching them say it about other people. And if I sense like, oh, if I tell that person my sacred stories, they're going to pass those on. Like that's the quickest way to be off my list. And and that's one of the things I look for. The other thing I look for is I'm looking for people who are trying to lean into vulnerability themselves. Like when I see someone take their own calculated risk, I also sense like, oh, they're wanting, they're wanting to show more of themselves. And so I'm going to help make this space safe as well by me showing more of myself. And, and you just go with your gut. It's a, it's a gut thing. For that to happen for me, I, I sense really quickly who is trustable, who isn't, and who is in kind of that middle ground, and I want to kind of see how it's going to play out. Yeah, it's been really interesting for me, um, this process of learning to trust my intuition. And and I think that it's a practice, You know, you, even with vulnerability, it's a practice. You're going to mess up sometimes, and you're going to share your story. You're going to be vulnerable, and someone's going to use it in a way that hurts you. But as you gain more practice, um, I think that it becomes easier and you do, you start learning to trust your intuition and you start learning to figure out the types of people that are worth um, sharing your story with and being vulnerable with. What do you, what do you see in the value of being vulnerable? Like we, we talk about this, Brene Brown saying like, look, vulnerability is this important thing. So my question is like, why? Why is it important? Why is it important for you and I and everyone else in this world to lean into vulnerability? I think for me, it's about connection. As I 
as I'm vulnerable, not only do I connect with other people, but I'm learning to connect with more of myself. I'm looking at the parts of me that I haven't wanted to see. I'm looking at the parts of me that I think um, I, I've either intentionally or subconsciously tried to keep hidden. And so as I as I practice vulnerability with other people, I'm also practicing it with myself. You know, I grew up in not the greatest environment. And so there was a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and and a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms used. And as I have been on this journey, I've I've learned to practice being kinder to myself and and not using some of those unhealthy coping mechanisms as I'm just dealing with my own emotions. For example, you know, let's say Kelty and I get into a disagreement. In the past, one of the things that I would do is, and we've talked about this briefly before, is I'd go down the rabbit hole and I'm really good at beating myself up, right? And as I practice vulnerability with myself, I'm learning to be kinder and more gentle and come from a space of love for myself and for my own mistakes. And so it's this beautiful connection between me and connection between other people. What are your thoughts on that, Bill? It it takes me down a different path. As you said that, my thought was the opposite of vulnerability. Um, And what I was thinking about, I was thinking about like people who put on a persona of perfection. Like I watch out in the world and I see people, again, there's lots of mechanisms to avoid vulnerability. One of them is being headsy, which is what I do. I, I tend to try to be intellectual. Um, and that gets me out of that space. The other thing I'll do is I'll go really quiet. I'll just, I'll just go into the background because it's risky to say anything. So I'll just rather listen to other people, let other people take chances and I'll just take in who's safe and who isn't. So the next time I can take, uh, not really a calculated risk, but almost knowing that it's going to be safe to do that. What I noticed some people do is they put on a persona, a persona of perfection. And there's this, uh, I was reading a blog yesterday and they were discussing kind of Brene Brown's book, but they were going off in some of their own directions. And they made this connection that like, we like our superheroes to have weaknesses. We like that Superman is, is weakened by kryptonite and that, that he can be had, uh, through those means. If we take the green lantern's ring away, if we get it off his finger, suddenly he's powerless. We like our superheroes to be vulnerable. And I think we, and I think that's a real thing. Like when we see human beings in the world and they let us see their shadows and their flaws and they're willing to risk themselves to tell us those things, like all of a sudden relationships get real, which is right back to what you were pointing to. Once I see that people aren't perfect and that they're willing to be open about their non-perfection, be open about their shadows, open about their flaws, Suddenly, in this on this side of life, on the second half of life, those are the people that I want to spend my time and energy on. Yeah, it's those I think those relationships become much more meaningful. And to, for me, it's a lot more fun. Yeah, we don't trust we don't trust perfection. When we see people uh, who are perfect, who appear to be perfect, we, we sit back and go like, something's not right. Like everybody has, has flaws. Everybody has shadows. So for the people who are like, look, I'm just going to pretend I've got all my shit together. I've got all of this going well. I, I struggle deeply to lean into trust with those people. And as I mentioned earlier, when I see human beings who are willing to expose others' sacred stories in order to get a laugh or in order to add shame to them, those people I don't trust either. Yeah, yeah. There was a 
a reader question on Facebook about how to find people that are safe to be vulnerable with and who have the ability to embrace uh, their own personal vulnerability despite how another reacts. And I think you described that perfectly. You, you learn to start trusting people and you learn to start knowing who is safe and who you can share those most intimate parts of your story with. And so, again, I would just tell people, you have to practice. You're going to mess up sometimes. Yeah, and if you're in settings, so you're at work and there's six people in the office, all human beings on some level desire to show more of themselves and to be seen and to take that risk. As you watch various people take it, you also see how various people react to it. Again, I think I think it's just a gut feeling, as we're both pointing to, of just sensing when is it safe to kind of lean into that. I'm, I'm curious, Mikkel, um, there's various areas, both with your significant others. And let me ask this, maybe let's start here. How easy or difficult, or why is it easier in some situations and more difficult in others to be vulnerable with the person that you're in love with live with, spend so much time with, what are maybe the differences in that relationship in terms of vulnerability? So I think there are two kind of thoughts that came to my mind. First is sometimes it's it's easy, but sometimes it's also really hard. And let me start with what's hard first. Sometimes we, uh, and when I say we, I'm most often talking about me. Sometimes in the past, I've used vulnerability or someone exposing their vulnerability to me as a weapon, especially in intimate relationships. And so I've had to learn, you know, why do I do that? And I need to stop that. So becoming aware of my own action and not using another person's, another person's vulnerability as a weapon. And what I mean by that is, you know, let's say um, my partner shares something with me that that's been hard or one of her shadows. And then in the future or in another interaction, I use that as a way to get her to do what I want. Um, and so becoming aware of why I do that and when I do that uh, in in that relationship has shifted things. And as as my partner, as Kelsey has become, you know, we've we're we're all on this journey just working to become healthier. And it's something that we're never going to be perfect at. But as I've learned to trust her more, it's easier because she provides this space for me to really dig deep into all of all of my shadows, but all of my good stuff too. But she, when I'm in those hard moments, when I'm in the rabbit hole, she loves me and she sits with me and she doesn't add shame and guilt Um so for me, I think it's important that you have a relationship where you can expose those parts of yourself and be vulnerable and someone's going to just sit with you and hold you in that space. I'm with you. There are certain things that are really easy to be vulnerable with my wife about. There are other things that are difficult, that are difficult to be vulnerable with my wife about. And and there are various levels or arenas of of vulnerability. There's emotional vulnerability. There is... Um, story, like my history vulnerability, like I'm willing to share my most embarrassing moment, their sexual vulnerability. And and maybe speak to that last one for a moment, because it's one that is I've been thinking about a lot lately as I've almost awakened and I'm on this side of things. Early in my marriage, it was really difficult to be different in my sexuality than my wife was. That there were things I liked, there was things I wanted, there was things I needed. And what she liked and what she wanted and what she needed were different. 
And we lived and grew up within a system that added shame to some of those things. And so whether it was pornography, whether it's masturbation, whether it's other kinds of um, uh, what kind of sex you like, what position you want to be in, all of those things seem so taboo in the first half of life. And you are scared to death that there's going to be shame added on. And in some instances there was for why I want to do this differently than you want to do it. And is that an option or can we do this this way? And now I'm on the second half of life and my wife and I are having these quote unquote vulnerable conversations that we never would have had before. And there still is a level of calculated risk. And, but now it feels like, oh, I can tell her that I like this thing, or I can tell her that I want to do our, uh, our sexual experience this way, and she can share what she wants and what she needs. And neither one of us anymore are adding shame to those things. Neither one of us anymore are adding embarrassment. And it has been so freeing for the first time, like the last three, four, five years, for the first time, we are having a sexuality as a couple that doesn't have shame. It, it, nobody's, nobody's embarrassed. And we're just having so much fun with each other. Um, and and I, I want the audience to understand, like, to get vulnerable, you have to start talking about some of these things. And again, you take a calculated risk. If your spouse is not to a space yet where they're willing to make room for you to be different, then maybe you can't. But if you sense any level that you can, like, you have to start leaning into those conversations and you have to take risk. And it's, and I think, Mikel, by the way, it's, it's being vulnerable that you see growth in your relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And you keep using this term leaning in. And I just want to explore that just a little bit. Um, One of the things that Brene Brown says is that vulnerability is showing up when you can't control the outcome. And I think for me, that's what leaning in is, is you're going to say the thing that could possibly result in someone shaming you or, or making you feel bad about something or, you know, making fun of you. But it's that process of just choosing to choosing that discomfort, um, knowing that you have no control how the other person is going to respond. You have no control of the outcome, but you're going to take that risk anyways. To me, that's what leaning in looks like. Um, what do you think about that? For me, leaning in is your gut tells you there is a response that would be better suited for the situation, but you've never tried that response before. And you take a chance on doing it differently. Oh, I love that. I I think every day we are being asked to take chances and we often deal with situations the exact way we've done it before. What we don't realize is this situation right here, right now is not like any situation you've had before. So you're, you can, you can feel empowered to do it differently. You can, and I think that's a process too. Um, you st- you have to start asking yourself questions. In the moment, oftentimes we react with emotion and we don't even take the time to think about, okay, what's really going on and why am I feeling this way? Instead, we just choose to react with, well, this is what happened yesterday, so I'm going to you know, react the same way. And, and I think that it's super important that we ask ourselves questions, take a moment and step back and, and ask, okay, what what's really going on in this situation? And how can I respond differently? Because I didn't like the outcome that I got yesterday. You mentioned your family, you mentioned you grew up in an experience where like, hey, I didn't learn 
a healthy way to do this thing. And so I'm curious, where did you learn vulnerability? Because unlike your experience, my experience was that I did have a, um, a good growing up experience. At the same time, my parents also had some dysfunction, which I think we all do. They had some dysfunction and they were not vulnerable. I saw my dad cry twice. Um, I saw my mom put up walls. Where did you learn vulnerability? So kind of like you, you know, I, I saw my parents and their unhealthy responses, but that was all I kind of knew. And so I didn't realize how unhealthy it was until I started stepping away and, and moved out of home. But even all growing up, as you asked that question, I was thinking, I saw, I saw what I thought were moments of vulnerability, but they were used as ways to manipulate and control people. And there were times when, when things happened, you know, I, I had some trauma as a child, and when I would bring up that experience and try and talk about it with my parents later as an adult, um, they they didn't respond in a healthy way, and so it always intrigued me, you know, why why someone would use another person's vulnerability as a, as a weapon or as a tool, and not just have any desire for growth and change, and I. As an adult, I started reading a ton of books. Um, I wanted my life to be different than what my parents' life was. I saw how unhappy they were, and I saw a lot of the family patterns just continually perpetuating, and I didn't want that. And so one of the very first, first books that I listened to or read was Brene Brown's Daring Greatly, and that was the first time I had ever really heard the term vulnerability. And as I read it, I just started sitting with some of the information. And that was probably, I would say probably about 10 years ago was when I really started shifting. And it's just been a practice. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've shared stuff with people and had it used against me. Um, But again, it goes back to connection for me. And it goes back to just healing more parts of myself. And I just want to be... I just want to be better than what I was. So, yeah, for me, it was the recognition, same thing. It, it was simply living life, experiencing it. And as I saw others be vulnerable, and as I saw chances for me to be vulnerable, and I leaned into it and took the chance, it felt like in those situations where vulnerability was present, it was the most real. Those were the most real parts of life. It's like you magnify the positives of life in those moments. They get bigger. Um, Mikkel, tell me this. Like, tell, Can you think of any moments where you've – we're giving all this language. We're giving all this context of what vulnerability looks like. But let's talk maybe rubber meets the road. Do you have any – like these are some experiences I've had. These are times where I I felt fear and I leaned into it. And here's what vulnerability really looked like. Yeah, so I have two experiences that come to mind right away. The first one is, you know, the first kind of time I met you. And I think I've told this story before. I'm sure um, lots of listeners have heard it on other podcasts. But, you know, I, I, I met you because my cousin Heather, who lives in Las Vegas, um, she knows you. And it was right when I had come out and I was going through my, my journey of separation. And so I walk into the pawn shop with my wedding ring just to kind of see who you are and, um, test the waters a little bit. And, you know, you, 
you treated me like no one else had ever treated me, which sounds kind of crazy because you're a really nice guy, but not any, you know, not every day do you walk into a pawn shop and have somebody just treat you like they are your best friend. I feel like that's how you treated me the very first day. And, um, and then when we went out to dinner with Chris and Don and you and Kelsey, and you guys just listened to our story, there was risk. I mean, we didn't know you. We didn't know Chris and Don, had never interacted with you guys before, but here were these people who were genuinely interested in hearing who we were and and hearing some of our story. And so there was, there was a little bit of a risk and I was terrified because it, it, I didn't know you and me exposing that much of myself after hiding for so many years was scary. It was. And people, the audience needs to know, as we tell this story, to give it a little bit of context, you you live in a religious system that holds uh, heterosexuality as the only way to do things. And you're married to a man, and you're a lesbian. You're married to a man. It, it doesn't work. It, it's got its own, like, here, he's a good guy, but you've got all this unhealthiness because you're a lesbian in a heterosexual marriage. You step away from that relationship. And for the first time, you're taking a chance on like, hey, this is who I am. And I'm going to stand out in the world and say like, hey, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. You were, you were already taking this risk of like, I can't, I can't be somebody I'm not anymore. I want to be me. And, and it was right in the very beginning of you taking that chance that you and I meet and so you're right. Like you're setting yourself up early to go like, Hey, I'm going to tell the world who I am. And I know my community isn't okay with it. And so you probably were scared to death of every interaction being, being something that was going to add shame or disapproval. I was. And yet at this point, I figured I had nothing to lose. And so I was willing to take those risks. Um, it, it felt better for me to take the risk than it did to continue hiding and continue denying those parts of me that I had felt ashamed of for so long. And then the second the second kind of interaction that comes to mind as far as vulnerability and, and real life experience is I was hired in February for another job. And one of the first, the first couple of weeks I go there, um, it's a it's a very conservative environment. I find out within the first couple of weeks of working there that we have all been assigned to a book club and each group is reading a different book and we're supposed to present, this was on a Thursday, I think, and we were supposed to present as a group on the following Monday. And so I'm I'm in my boss's office and there's two other women who are in this book club group with us. Both I had met just very briefly. One woman in particular, her office was right next to mine, but we hadn't interacted a whole lot. And we're talking about this book and it was a Brene Brown book. It was Rising Strong. And I love everything that I read from Brene because it just is so insightful and it it's tools that I can use and apply in everyday practice. And so we're talking about this book and I, I'm listening to this other woman just share some of her own experiences, her own vulnerabilities to, you know, she knows the two other women fairly well because she's worked at this place for a couple of years, but she doesn't know me. And so I see her sharing who she is. And I'm like, man, I need to know this person. So we get done talking in our group. And um, 
we break up for the day and it's, I think it's the end of the day and we're getting ready to go home. And I'm like, Hey, Cassidy, like, tell me more of your story. I, I'm interested. And so here, this person, Cassidy, who she doesn't really know me that well, shares her, her journey, where she's at, where she's been, how she got to where she was today. And it just was beautiful and amazing. And so her being open and vulnerable just allowed me um, to be who I was. And we've developed this really awesome friendship at work. And I love I love being able to go to work and have at least one real person that I know I can talk to and share with and who's going to keep me safe. Yeah. Vulnerability often, the, the idea around being vulnerable, it often reminds me of when you're a kid and you're in a circle of, you know, 10 people. And all it takes, all it takes often is one person to speak up and to say what everybody else is thinking. And, and then when that person says like, oh, it's when everybody perceives like, oh, it's safe because that person led the way, then everybody else feels safe, like having a differing opinion or a differing thought on the subject. And vulnerability works like that. The moment someone is in the room going like, hey, I'm going to be vulnerable and I welcome you to be vulnerable suddenly it feels like everyone else can kind of step into that space too. And I think it's something we human beings crave. I'm sitting on a trampoline. I'm laying on a trampoline last night. We had a friend come over. We took a friend out to dinner and then she comes over and she's laying on her trampoline and me, my wife and her are just laying on the trampoline, looking up at the stars. We had just gone to dinner and we've been asking deeper questions. Like I don't want to go. If you want to go to dinner and ask me, how's the weather and how's my kids? And where did you go on vacation last year? I don't want to be part of that dinner. I want to have real questions. And so we get back to the the house and uh, go to the trampoline. And I ask her, I said, what's your most embarrassing story? Now, her most embarrassing story was that when she was in the fifth grade or something, she walks up to the teacher's desk and her nose is running and the snot runs out of her nose right onto the teacher's arm. And so the three of us, right? Like that's like, you're like, oh, that's embarrassing. So the three of us have a chuckle. But she sets the tone, even though that story is not the craziest of all stories, she sets the tone. And then she passes it over to my wife, who has a similar story of, of sitting at a school desk and falling asleep with her head in her arm, and then waking up 10 minutes later, catching herself snoring, and there's just a pile of drool on the desk. So that's funny. That's embarrassing. And, and so then all of a sudden, they're like, okay, Bill, your turn. You ask the question. And I didn't think about what I was going to say, like, I just asked the question because I wanted to hear her most embarrassing story. Now the light is on me and suddenly I'm sitting with, oh, maybe I should, because I have a really embarrassing story. Maybe I should tell her something similar. Like, oh, there was that one time at school and somebody tripped me and <laughs> I'll just come up with something that's, you know, mild to the extent that I thought their stories were mild, even though they were, they were being honest, they were being vulnerable. That was their most embarrassing story. And I said, no, what the hell? What the hell? Let's just go for it. And so I proceed to tell her my most embarrassing story, which was a time that I was caught masturbating when I was a teenager. <laughs> but to recognize, like, I said, like, what the hell? Like, this person was as real as they could be. That was their story. I owe them. I owe them back vulnerability. And I want to be vulnerable. I want to be. And so I think that seeing others step into that space makes it really, I don't want to say easy. But easier. It makes it worth the risk. It makes it more comfortable so that you can share. Um, one of the things that, that Brene Brown says a lot too that you kind of mentioned is 
every time we are vulnerable, there is some level of uncomfort, right? We feel a little bit of a tension inside and we're like, oh, I don't know. Can I, can I say that? Um, and Brene says, we got to keep choosing courage over comfort. It's in those moments that are uncomfortable, in those moments of some risk that we grow. And it does, I think it just allows for not only us to grow, but it allows the other person that we're interacting with to feel safe and be able to share, which then helps them grow a little bit. And so I think that as scary as it is, keep choosing courage over comfort. Yeah. The, the mechanisms that we use, there's perfectionism, there's intellectualizing, there's cynicism. Sometimes we just numb out. We just, we just distance ourselves from others. We step back. Uh, and sometimes we use control. Like I will control this situation in a way as to not allow any vulnerability to be present. And I think every time you remove those mechanisms and you lean into vulnerability, you are courageous. And, and I think that for this audience that says like, look, I want to wake up. I want to wake up. I want to, I want to do shadow work. I want to deal with my shit. I want to, I want to be real with people and I want to build community then you got to start sensing these mechanisms inside of you. And you got to sit with them. Like you said earlier, like in the moment, just sit with them and you got to start leaning into like, all right, I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to show these people or this person more of myself and I'm going to take the risk and I'm going to see what happens. And again, do it. You know, you'd certainly take a calculated risk, but you take a risk nonetheless. And I think Bill, you'll, you'll start figuring out over time whether or not a person is going to match or at least make an effort to be vulnerable, because I'm not suggesting that you just keep being vulnerable with the same people over and over and over and over again, because I think that there's, there's, there could be abuse, you know, people, people using um, your vulnerability as a weapon. And so you get to gauge where you're at in your own life. um, But just be aware that over time, you're going to figure out, is this relationship worth continuing to invest in by me being vulnerable? And is it not? Is it time to walk away? And I think that sometimes we have to walk away from those unhealthy relationships. Yeah. Amen. We've, we've had to do that at times. There's been times where you, you sense, I had a, a kid I grew up with on my, on my street, a street I grew up on as, as a teenager. And this kid, he, he just wasn't honest about his story. He, he told embellished stories that weren't true to get approval. And it was so easy. Like he, he gave the time, he gave the energy to the relationship, but he wasn't willing to be vulnerable. And so as time went on and as we grew older, I had to put some distance between me and him because it wasn't, it wasn't real. Uh, and it lacked, it lacked whatever that magic thing is. And I think it is vulnerability. It lacked that magic thing that made the relationship worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it can be hard to let go of those people that you've interacted with for, you know, a long time, especially childhood friends. I think especially uh, family members. Yeah. It can be complicated sometimes. One of the last things that I kind of wanted to share with Brene and this, this, is a piece that I've been thinking about a lot, um, again, because it, it can be risky, but Brene says it's easier to cause pain than to feel pain, and we often work our shit out on other people. Ooh, it's, it's easier to cause pain than to feel pain. 
Right. Like we put up this rubber wall around ourselves and we're not going to let anybody in that's going to cause us hurt. We would just let it bounce off and we'll just send send the arrows back that way and cause pain to others. It's a way for us to avoid being real. Yeah. Yeah. And I that her her sentence that we often work our shit out on other people. I think that's a way of deflecting what's really going on inside of us and making it someone else's fault. And when we can sit with that and recognize it and own it, I think that that's a huge part of vulnerability. Yeah. No, I'm with you. We need to find, as just you and me, just I need to find ways that rather than putting walls up, and one of those walls is to cause pain to another person. I remember times where my kids, when I was younger, my kids would do something wrong and anger would build up in me. And it was easier for me to go like scream at the kids rather than sit with like my anger and go like, why are you angry? Why are you dealing with this in an unhealthy way? What they did wasn't a big deal, but it was just easier to go like, all right, I'm going to come down hard on them and make them feel like shit rather than deal with my own insecurity and my own unhealthiness and my own shadows. And now here we are again, second half of life. And I'm not going to say it's not there at all, but it's time to start sitting with this stuff. Uh, my wife and I are having conversations now almost every day about how we're getting better at ridding ourselves of certain mechanisms. Like she'll say like, Hey Bill, thank you for the way you do this thing now because you didn't used to do it this way. And I'm like, Hey babe, thank you so much for doing this thing now that you, that you didn't used to do this way. And again, you, you want relationships to improve. You want relationships to grow. You want to experience the beauty of life. This is the direction you have to go. Yeah. I've seen you and Amanda grow so much over the last year. It's been really amazing and beautiful to watch. Um, in fact, we had a conversation with you and Amanda yesterday about some of the things that we're learning and, and areas where we've seen each other's shadow. And I love that, that you and Amanda and me and Kelsey have this relationship where we can point out each other's shadows and hold space for each other to be vulnerable and allow each other to change and to grow. And I'm learning from you. Oh, it's beautiful. I love it. It's not easy. It's right. Like we're, we're still having fracture with our significant other. We're still working through maybe the toughest things we've ever worked through in our life because we don't have these same walls up anymore. It's, it's hard work. It's, it's not like, Oh yeah, I'm just growing and it's fun and it's a blast. And you know, today I grew, I grew this much. No, it's like, Oh my gosh, some of this stuff is so hard. Some of this is terrible. Like it's terrible fracture. It is, it is, you know, Kelsey and I were up not last night, but the night before and really late, both of us crying and there, you know, there was some arguing and it had been hours and we finally figured it out. And I, you know, I will tell you, Bill, there's two things that kind of have helped me the most. One is when I, when I can feel myself putting up walls, I'll say it. Oftentimes if I can verbalize what is happening in my head, I can diffuse it somewhat. So I'll, I'll tell Kelty like, oh man, right now, I'm feeling very defensive. I can feel myself putting walls up. And then she's aware because then she can she can try and figure out, okay, what did I say that, you know, maybe uh, prompted Mikhail to put up that wall? Or why do I feel the need to continue attacking? So verbalizing it for me. And then the other thing that I have started using, and this is a Brene Brown tool, is the story I tell myself is. So when, you know, let's use the example from the other night, Kelsey and I were arguing about 
not arguing. I had, I had helped, tried to help her with something and she interpreted my assistance in a different way. And so she, um, she said something back to me and her comment immediately, I felt, you know, all that tension inside and I could feel myself getting upset and I could feel the walls going up. And I said, Hey, um, you know, your comment, the story I'm telling myself is blank. And immediately it, that helps diffuse the situation too, because oftentimes the story we're telling ourselves isn't what's really true. No, no. And, and to maybe add my own little tip, which is that when we talk about those mechanisms of perfection, intellectualizing, cynicism, numbing, control, those all come from the ego. Those are all protective mechanisms. And sometimes they serve their purpose because the space is completely unsafe to be vulnerable. And so the ego comes up with these things to, to protect us. One of the things we talked about yesterday with you, me, my wife, and your wife was to have this conversation about why don't we – like we could do better if we treat the ego as a um, tangible thing. And my wife said like, I just name it. It's the terrorist. Uh, we talked before about the terrorist in the cockpit. The moment you give story to the sensations you feel, the moment you give it a narrative, the moment you give it a label, the terrorists are already in the cockpit. The terrorist are is your ego trying to protect you and and doing all the things it does, but it's unhealthy side. And what my wife said was like, I'm just going to start naming it. I can see the terrorist and he's moving towards the cockpit. For me, it's a little different. I sense my ego is me. It's inside of me. What I do is I just turn it into this tangible object and I make it into like a little sphere. And I picture myself just grabbing it and taking it outside of myself and setting it down. And so I still see it. I still feel whatever those feelings are inside of me. I still have those sensations. But once I see it as a separate thing than me, it doesn't have to control how I respond. I can respond in the way that my healthy self wants to. And my ego gets to sit off over to the side, even though him and I are sharing the same sensation. And he wants so bad to step in. And so in issue in, in situations where I feel a gut inclination to be vulnerable and my mechanisms want to come out, hey, Bill, just let's get headsy. I'll take again my ego. I'll set it off to the side over there. And I'll say like, look, I'm just, I, that I feel, I feel the fear. I'm still going to share this story because I feel like it's worth the risk here. And again, if you can get those mechanisms out of the way, you'll have a much easier time leaning into vulnerability. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I just tell people it's practice. Be gentle with yourself, be gentle with other people, but start learning to have courage and get get uncomfortable because I think it's in those uncomfortable moments that we do experience some of the greatest growth and greatest insight. Amen to all that. I guess, I guess, Mikkel, just to, to wrap up, my closing thought would be for people to try it. Try being vulnerable. Pick the spaces that the risk feels worth it. You get to determine that. But man, take chances. Take chances. This world comes to life when you take chances. That's the whole purpose in her book, Daring Greatly. Dare greatly. Take chances. Um, any final thoughts from you? No, that's it. I, I agree. Just Take the risk, take the chance, um, and as you do, I think that you'll experience greater connection with those around you, but also greater connection and, and more self-love. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. 
Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman. 